0: Sweet Sixteen is a podcast for members of Loud and Quiet, where musicians revisit that pivotal teenage year. They talk about where they were, what they remember, and how they took on the highs and lows of young adulthood. On this episode... Hello, I'm Blaine Harrison from Mystery Jets, and this is my Sweet Sixteen. I turned 16 in May 2001, and at the time I was living in a village just outside of Oxford, actually very near to where Truck Festival is held, just across the fields from Truck Festival. It was a sleepy little town where not a lot happened. And I actually went to school a little bit further down the road in a place called Pangbourne, which was, once upon a time, had been a school for the Merchant Navy. It was the kind of school that, it encouraged sport. I wouldn't say it was a school that fostered creativity necessarily. It was a private school but the reason I got in was that at the time I was very into my art. I managed to get an art scholarship there. I was very passionate about painting at the time. So I was living with my mum and my sister at home and it was generally a pretty happy time. I mean uh, it was a house where creativity was encouraged. I think my parents very much supported mine and my sister's creativity. It was a house that was always filled with music and you know I've got fond memories of my sister's records drifting down the corridor into my room and that's kind of how I got I suppose a lot of my teenage taste was through hearing it through my sister's door. And also my dad was a big and still is a big influence on my music taste. I mean he brought me up on a steady diet of prog rock from the 60s and 70s which definitely was a big influence on the band in our formative years. I suppose a vivid memory of what the other kids at school listened to was UK Garage, the beginnings of new Metal, which I had no affinity for whatsoever. I mean, I I actually hated that music. And I think in a funny way, it sort of pushed me further on my path to getting into what influenced the band in the early days. Me and my family are very close. A week doesn't go by that we don't speak two or three times, we always check up on each other. We're a real unit. I think perhaps that's something that comes from, my parents separated when I was quite young, and I think families that have had divorced parents, in a funny way, the kids sort of become the conduit in the family and you become the glue that holds it together. I think that was definitely the case in my family. In a funny way, it brought us closer together. Prior to living in the countryside, I would actually spent a few years living in France At an early age with my mum and my sister so my mum had brought us up on her own really which still blows my mind to this day i mean it showed such remarkable strength to do that and my dad would come out in the holidays and that's really where my bond with him started over music and records and and eventually what led to us starting a band together it was a way of us communicating really so i guess i'd go to school i was obsessed with art with painting with illustrating drawing i just that was what i did with my time i suppose it it also influenced i think how i i suppose created my identity because i think at school you end up falling into these tribes and there wasn't an art tribe like it was a very sporty school it sounds really pretentious saying this but it was sort of a way of rebelling against this establishment of this very sporty competitive school i just disappeared down to the art block and and paint (laughs) (laughs) but i think that's also linked to the fact that i grew up with a disability and obviously couldn't partake in a lot of activities at school although i was encouraged to i didn't really feel that was where i was meant to be spending my time i did one term of cricket scoring and it was the most tedious thing I've ever been a part of, been a part of. I was drawn to art as a means of, I think, just escaping into my own imagination. And I think the other thing at that age is that kids can be right little shits to each other. And there was definitely bullying, which anyone who is a little bit different will have experience of being picked out. And I think being on crutches, having a disability, definitely defined me in other people's eyes, not in my own eyes at all, but in other people's eyes. Another way that I think I escaped from that was actually, (laughs) I was a secret BMX fanatic. So when I'd get home from school in the evenings, I'd just jump on my bike and I'd ride out into the woods, build jumps, smash into trees. And I suppose looking back, I never saw it as this at the time, but I suppose that was an outlet of some kind of pent up rage, some kind of pent up frustration of being kind of ostracized from social groups is that I, I just thought, well, if I'm on my bike, I'm, I'm perfectly happy on my own just disappearing into the woods. And, and I got so into the whole culture, you know, all the mags and covering everything with stickers, my mom's car, all over the kitchen cabinets. It was a fascination which actually lasted for a few years. It was quite a private obsession might have listened to a bit of skate punk okay. <laughs> is it is it okay to admit to liking sublime that time? <laughs> it was rage against machine it was nirvana it was west coast of skate punk and sublime i don't know what it is about being 15 but something about scar guitars and punk vocals just sings with your soul I don't know why that, why that is. If I ever go on to have children, I'm gonna I'm gonna ban Scar Punk from the house. One of the reasons I was repelled by New Metal was it felt in a funny way linked to the kind of macho culture, the kind of jock culture that I tried to disconnect myself from at school, which was the rugby team, it was this competitive boyish sports culture and new metal to me felt like an extension of that and and for the same reason that summer for a lot of the other kids at school it was the summer of Reading Festival you know your first Reading Festival and I made a point of not going <laughs> which I think I later regretted I can't remember who played probably Alien Amp Farm, Limp Biscuit, Papa Roach was it Daphne and Celeste that got Bottles of piss thrown at them. I think it was that year. And I didn't go. And again, I think not going to Reading Festival felt like a mini act of rebellion, albeit rather a pathetic one. I'd started coming down to London a lot of weekends, going to gigs in London, as well as starting to play small acoustic shows as the band, as as Mystery Jets. I felt far more connected to that friendship circle outside of school. A big person in my life at that time was Kai, who was um, Mr. Jets fans will know as our first bass player who was in the band for our first few albums. And he was someone who came into my life just prior to that. I suppose I was 14 going on 15. And he was someone who I think I owe a lot to. He had a confidence about him that was just infectious. He was the first person I knew to smoke cigarettes he was the first person i knew to drink coffee because we couldn't sit in pubs at those times so so we'd go up to london we'd sit in coffee shops and i remember him telling us about this super hip new coffee shop that just opened in Labor grove where he lived and he took us there and he said yeah it's this it's this italian coffee it's called uh, it's called a latte and he took us there and you could still smoke the smoking ban hadn't happened yet so we <laughs> so we used to sit in the upstairs room and just smoke cigarettes and, and drink this fancy Italian coffee and it was a cafe Nero and we didn't know at the time that cafe Nero was a chain we just thought it was this really sophisticated coffee shop and so we'd sit in there and Kai would would, would sort of flirt with the baristas and myself and Will just we were sort of drawn to him like flies he had such a confidence and a, a sense of I suppose self-belief that was lacking in both of us you know we were very much nerdy outcasts in our school circles. But when we came down to London, Kai brought something out of both of us. And I think as well as being someone who's very self-assured and popular with the girls particularly, I think he was the first person I knew to lose his virginity, which was a source of hope for the rest of us. He also had this incredible ability to recognise what was special in you and to make you feel like you mattered and i think I, at school i didn't feel like i mattered i felt i felt very ostracized from from that culture that kind of macho culture that i was describing and i think kai represented in a funny way he represented a different kind of masculinity i think when you're 16 idols are really important to you matt hoffman was a big he was a rider that i looked up to up to a lot he obviously started his own bmx company and broke loads and loads of records Mike Escamelia was another BMXer that I loved but I think really it was art that still dominated my interests that was something that Will and I had definitely shared We we were both at our schools on these art scholarships and that became something that that I think was a thread through our friendship for for years to come as well because we both went on to do um, art at university. We both went on to art college. And there's one particular story which was Tate Britton had just put on a Lucian Freud's retrospective and we both went along to that and were just completely taken away by his work and also discovering the stories of him going around Soho with Francis Bacon in the 50s and gambling on horses and getting wasted at the, at the colony rooms and stumbling in and out of bars. And he was still alive that time. He didn't die till a few years later. And one afternoon, Will and I got on the train down to London. Having read the book that came with the exhibition, we'd found out what his favorite wine was. We bought a bottle of his favorite wine, which I think was a Gevre Chambotin. And we took the bottle of wine and our guitars to his house we stalk- <laughs> so we stalked Lucian Freud we found out where he lived in Holland Park it was a guesstimation I mean it, it sort of came from looking at all, all his paintings and recognising some of the some of the streets some of the views we kind of narrowed it down to a couple of roads in Holland Park so we went down there one afternoon and uh, we sat outside his house all day with our guitars just singing songs hoping to beckon him down so that we could grill him on his stories and i think really we just wanted to go up to his apartment and have a have a snoop around we rung a few buzzers we got some angry neighbors answering who told us to piss off and i think we ended up just drinking the bottle of wine ourselves (laughs) that was a fond memory of that time so i turned 16 in may 2001 and i've got my little notebook in front of me where i've written down a couple of things and the 29th of january that year was when the strokes modern age came out the EP and then is this it came out in July that year I think anyone that was that age at that time I, I mean maybe this stretched to people in their 20s as well but I struggled to find the words to describe what it felt like when is this it landed it felt like it felt like the the the, the clock had been reset everything had gone back to zero it was like a kind of cultural ground zero in the kind of post Britpop years, we'd had a wave of bands. There was actually some, some records by British bands of that time that I've, I've since grown to love, but everything felt very stale. It felt like the last dregs of Britpop. And I think when that record came out, there was just something so instantly infectious about it. And they were young, they were good looking. They had this kind of velvet underground television thing going on in a way that felt so new it felt like it was for us and it felt genuine and it felt real and obviously 9-11 happened that year and i remember reading the book um meet me in the bathroom and it and it actually paints a really vivid picture of how those events were so linked and new york suddenly became the most important city in the world i think living in a sleepy countryside village in britain that felt So exciting! It just felt like music coming from another planet. It's hard, quite to to know what to compare it to. I mean, you hear, I suppose you hear, classic bands talking about hearing the Beatles for the first time on TV, or or seeing Elvis shaking his hips, wherever it was, and it sounds incomparable. But in a funny way, that kind of what it that's what it was for us. Seeing that band doing that, suddenly everyone wanted to be in a band, and it was that thing of chuck away your decks buy a guitar and then it was chuck away your guitar buy some CDJs do you know what I mean and and I think throughout throughout music for the last 20-30 years there's been that constant switching cycle between electronic music and guitar music they're sort of frenemies but I think the Strokes whatever you were into regardless of your kind of social tribe at school it was just undeniably cool and we all started wearing blazers and ties it felt like a call to arms for everyone that age into music Sweet 16 is a Loud and Quiet production Interviews by the Loud and Quiet editorial team produced and edited by Stuart Stubbs and Greg Cochran As a Loud and Quiet member you can receive future episodes in this series by hitting subscribe wherever you're listening right now